Who the fuck are you? I'm Maximilian, a connoisseur of death, you might say. But no one seems to take pride in the art anymore. It's so rare you come across a clean kill nowadays. Oh, you got two seconds to beat it, eggplant. You're gonna share a coffin with Carl Lewis here. Oh, I already have a coffin of my own. <laughs> come on. Hey, he's no fun. He fell right over. Some fucking wackos in this town. Hey, let's get back to you, Julius. I guess you had a bullet, huh, man? No, I kept one special just for you. Interesting. I've been stabbed, and I've been hanged, and I've been burned. Even broken on the rack once, but I've never been shot before. Ah. Hmm. Kind of itches a little. You have quite decent aim, though. But next time. Put a little heart into it. Hey, everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre over here. Hey, and this is Silver Lottis Playback. It's a podcast where we watch Mulan movies, you gobble goots, and we find the silver linings. And this month, we talk about Vampire in Brooklyn this week. And we'll put a little heart in it. Uh, um. And that gets to just <laughs> many of the wildly inconsistent accents in this Wes Craven feature from 1995. It's fun. It's early silver lining is everyone. <laughs> it, it, clearly the edict from the top from from Wes himself was silly voices. Everybody <laughs> was a little bit more. Yeah. A hey, little bit more. Hey, guy from the X-Files. What if you were a cartoon of a man from Brooklyn? <laughs> Oh, Mitch Pileggi. What if you called him an eggplant? <laughs> Which means Which, a very I mean, different thing in 2023, thanks to emojis. Just want to yes. point that out. You call and, someone an eggplant thank, now. And thank God that emojis uh, have, have wiped out that very bizarre racial slur that existed at one point in time. Is it a racial slur? I didn't even... It is, yeah. Oh. No, it's a, it's a, it is a racial slur for uh, uh, for people of African descent. I should have known because they were Italian. So, yeah, um, it's because also very famously in uh, the best scene in True Romance when uh, um, Dennis Hopper is getting interrogated by Christopher Walken and he goes on that tirade about Sicilians being a partially of African descent. Oh, I thought the it's best scene, scene as well. in that movie was when they uh, tricked Gary Oldman into doing that accent by like, <laughs> I, you've heard that story, right? That there was some like local kids that were like, no, that's very authentic what you're doing. That's that's how people on the streets talk. And they clearly <laughs> were just pranking Gary Oldman, but he believes it. And it's hilarious. Yeah. It's actually literally in the oral history of true romances. I forget who says it, it might be Tarantino saying it of just like, no, they, those kids were pranking him. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. But also, apparently, the guy that uh, Gary Oldman based his performance on is also in the movie uh, The Professional. He's one of, like, Gary Oldman's flunkies in The Professional. And that guy does actually talk like that. So, so it's a, Or it's an incredibly elaborate prank. And that guy's name was Kevin Federline. 
(laughs) (laughs) And now you know the rest of the story. Uh, I'm just glad we got to, you know, other early Silver Line and got to talk about The Professional and uh, True Romance, two movies that we'll never do for this podcast. Yeah, unless we're maligning the people that wrote those movies. But that's a different story. <laughs> that's an entirely <laughs> different story. Um, is Luke Passano a bad guy? Oh, dude, you don't want to <laughs> no, go I'm down kidding, this. I'm kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. you I don't. Go, no, no we we're don't. not opening that can, can no, of worms. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, 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 we're not doing that. Danger. <laughs> we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Um, no, I, I, yeah, that, that was a, that was a joke. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're not. Nope. Nope. Anyways, Vampire in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yep. Starring one Edward Murphy. Eddie, 90s Eddie Murphy, which was a pretty sure bet at this point. Yeah, he was a uh, box office gold in 1995. Yeah. Uh, and also starring Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm. Who there's a real I want to this seems like a good a place as any to mention because I this is just a, a thing that I when I was reading stuff about this movie that I read that I think is worth noting here. Angela Bassett and John Witherspoon are both in this film and they both were in another film the same year that this came out 1995. And uh, for Angela Bassett, she did Vampire in Brooklyn and Waiting to Exhale. And for John Witherspoon, he did Vampire in Brooklyn and Friday. And I find that fascinating that they did an iconic movie that they will forever be associated with. And this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. um, One of the most iconic, like, I'm done with my man scenes in the history of cinema is Angela Bassett walking away from that car on fire. Like, that is... Like beautiful cinema right there. And then uh, then equally beautiful cinema is John Witherspoon spraying uh, bathroom spray while taking a dump and uh, giving his son Ice Cube what for. Yeah, just playing America's dad, basically, in the film Friday. (laughs) But yeah, Um, I just I, I don't even know what to make of it, except for the fact that that's really interesting to me that like they both did a thing they'll forever be remembered for. And this in the same year. Yeah, you know, because sometimes people make more than one movie in a year and, you know, they can't all be winners. Nope. That's, Nor can they all be Vampire in Brooklyn. That's literally the strategy of the man who we just spent a month talking about, Nick Cage. <laughs> you do a lot of them. They're not all going to be winners, but some of them will. No, he is definitely throw throw it at the wall to see what sticks is his approach to acting. He's got some good movies coming out later this he year. He does. Too. Yeah. Yeah. A, a potentially good movies. Let's let's be very careful here. Yeah, the one I forget what the name of it is, but the one where he's in everyone's dreams, the A twenty four film, looks really yeah, good. Yeah, uh, the real life story of the human fish. Exactly. Yes. Also, weirdly, seemingly based on an actual thing that I do remember, where they were putting flyers around L.A. a few years ago of a photo of a man's face and asking if people had dreamed about him. Right, and that man is the human fish from the Chris <laughs> Gethers show. Yes. Exactly. Anyway, look Vampire, at, at, in, I know, Vampire Bro- in Brooklyn, laser focused. Oh, right have, we, have we? Well, we did already mention that this, in addition to having Eddie Murphy, who again, at this point in his career, uh, and also cards on the table, Eddie Murphy, I think in my lifetime, one of the funniest people on the planet. And I love Eddie Murphy so much. And again, 90s Eddie Murphy, best of all. Yeah. Um, no, Eddie Murphy, had Eddie Murphy only done... Coming to America and trading places 
he would have had one of the best comedic movie careers of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he did other things, too. Mm-hmm. And some of them are also very, very good. Yeah, like some of them are great. Some people only know Eddie Murphy as the guy from Shrek. And honestly, that in and of itself is probably a whole legion of fans that he has. Yeah, he, I mean, he's a great his, donkey in those. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, yeah. He, other people might know him only as the nutty professor. Right. Which that is a also, again, because we're always on track, even when we don't seem like we are. One of the things to know about this movie, and I think maybe the most important thing to know about Vampire in Brooklyn, is that Eddie Murphy only did it because he was contractually obligated to make another film for Paramount, who he was negotiating with to try to get the rights to The Nutty Professor away from them. Yes. And that is this movie. And uh, like our accents at the top is a, a brilliant metaphor for just how wildly inconsistent this film is. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we've got like I, I almost don't want to tip my hand too much because we could this could be a nine minute episode and we could wrap it up right here because I I think in one sentence I can summarize the problem with this film, which is that it is a horror comedy that is neither scary nor funny. Yeah, that is, that is might be the most accurate one sentence review of any movie ever. <laughs> yeah, like it's just and again, I love all the people involved in this like so much, but that's no, there's, the there's problem. There's great <laughs> actors throughout um and yeah, it is it's it's not scary enough to be a horror, it's not funny enough to be a comedy, but you could only call it a horror comedy. Right, that's definitely what they were going for, but it does not hit the mark. Yeah. Uh and it's and I think that because Eddie Murphy really wanted to make a horror movie and Wes Craven really wanted to make a horror comedy and they didn't either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, because on paper, I I get what they were doing and it, it very much could have worked. You know, the I think the overall sort of pitch of the script, which is, I mean, essentially it's following the original Dracula pretty closely, like they're pretty, are- like more closely than most Dracula uh adaptations yeah there's definitely like one-to-ones of you know there's a guy who's renfield there's you know someone who's playing van helsing like there's definitely you can plug in this character represents this character from dracula very cleanly yeah no it's very one-to-one justice is very much harker and uh angela bassett is very much mina and um dr zako is very much van helsing uh julius is renfield like there's a lot of one-to-one things and i think that was smart and again i mean eddie murphy is hilarious uh john witherspoon is hilarious uh charlie murphy worked on the script with eddie murphy who i mean if anyone has seen him like charlie murphy also hilarious like yes a lot of funny people but yeah didn't seem like eddie murphy was trying to do a comedy and so he he was trying to write a straight horror movie but yeah it's it's the worst of both worlds somehow yeah, very much so. Um, and I don't think this belongs in necessarily the maligning or the silver lining or the liminal space, but this is just the most 1995 movie ever. Like, just the way it's lit and shot and edited and directed and scored. Just, like, this is everything that was happening in movies in 1995. And of a certain tier of budget of movies in 1995. 
You know what? It made me realize, too, like, uh, there's not enough steam coming up from the streets of cities in films. No, there needs to be a lot more steam, because what better way to create ambiance and have a nice little jump scare, in quotes, than steam coming up from the vents? Well, especially as this is our, like, city horror month, you know, so I think that that, that really adds to it. It's like we're doing the fog, you know? Yeah, or, or the mist. Or the mist, which are... I think the same movie? I'm pretty sure they're the same movie. They're basically the same movie. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and this, like... This movie, like... I think everybody wanted it to be a good movie, but everybody wanted it to be a different good movie. Yeah, nobody talked. <laughs> yeah, there was no meetings. Like, this is very, like, exquisite corpse movie as it's made. Yeah, it's just... It's... Yeah, it's very bizarre. I also, I mean, I don't know, like, there, there are things that you could, like, specifically nitpick where this is also the era where you say it's super 1995, where so you're in this era of 90s vampire movies, and they're kind of trying to, at the end, give Eddie Murphy the Buffy the Vampire Slayer style, you know, like, prosthetics, and they don't look particularly good in this movie. Yeah, it was weird that he doesn't have monster face or, like, bat face until the very end of the movie. Right. I also hilariously read uh, Eddie Murphy was asked about this movie, and his theory was that it didn't work because people disliked the wig that he had on so much, which I think he might be onto something. It's a pretty I mean, bad hairpiece. It is It is a wild mullet that he is rocking in this movie. Yeah, but he, he said that people saw him with that hair and they immediately, that ruined. The They're like, nope, I'm out. I'm out, I'm out before it even starts. Yeah, so I, I think that's not good. And then, yeah, like, I the accent that he's doing... I, I think, you know, I mean, obviously accents worked really well for him in coming to America. I think in this movie, he probably could have gotten away with just not having one. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it is that he could have not had the accent or like I've heard him do a good Caribbean accent in other things. Yeah, but that's like, I don't even think that he's I don't know what he's trying to do in this. Like, I guess he's trying to do, like, a hybrid Caribbean and then, like, Romanian accent. Yeah, all those, those, the, the well-storied hybrid Romanian-Caribbean accents that exist everywhere. Well, he explains at the beginning that, you know, right. the, where the vampire migration happened, and he was with the camp that went to the Bermuda Triangle, I think he says. Yes, to the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. And, yeah, and then that's where, you know... um dracula went to romania yep as we all know into the carpathian mountains in romania and in transylvania and then he went to the caribbean mm -hmm. which seems weird because it's you know you're going somewhere that's famously sunny yeah that like is um yeah notoriously has a lot of sunshine and everything Although actually, like in general, uh, the days are pretty consistent in length in the Caribbean relative to like, say, that, you know, the part of the world that, you know, we live in where you have the days get longer and shorter. They say a pretty consistent 12 hours throughout most of the year in the Caribbean. There you go. So, you know, it's not like the uh, in the Arctic Circle where you have that like long period of night, but at the same yeah. time. Which, you know, that seems like a slam dunk. That That's if anyone ever made a movie that took place with vampires when it was just night 
all the time. I'm sure that like would it was be like a whole month of night, a whole month of dark time. That seems like such a good pitch that there's no way we could ever talk about it on this podcast because that's just a home run. Yeah, that l- l- talk about a license to print horror movie dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which a, um, I did. And uh, most stores will not take them. That's just a little disclaimer. You you print your own horror movie dollars. And I put a lot of thought into them. I had Wolfman was a 10. You know, sure. Dr- Dracula was a 20. The mummy was a one because, you know, come yeah, on, come on. Was Frankenstein the five? Yeah, Frankenstein was a five. Frankie five, you know, yeah, five Frankie. Oh, Frankie five. Yeah. And uh, like I put a lot of work into them and I was really proud of them, you know, had my dot matrix printer print them out and stores will not accept them. Not even in October. I was like, I get it the rest of the year. But uh, now, yeah, I have to. Did you try them at a spirit Halloween? <sighs> no, that's on me. Yeah. So maybe the next time you cross a spirit Halloween, try your Halloween horror movie dollars. By the way, I'm I'm so uh, sad. The the consistent spirit Halloween near where I live, uh, there was a spot that had popped up every year, and now there's a total wine in the store. So uh, like it was a a, a consistently empty <laughs> building every year that I've lived here until this year, and I'm sad about it. Ah, uh, that is. What if it's both? They should. Yeah. Why not? Just just call it spirit wine or total Halloween wine and spirits. Why? Oh, man. Did we just invent the greatest store of all time? Wine and spirits, a combination liquor store and spooky store. Yeah. Except I do think there's going to be confusion because I don't know if you wine and spirit Halloween. Maybe I think you need the Mm. wine and spirit Halloween. Yeah. The pun's too delicious that I think they might just think there are spirits like the alcohol. Spirits. Yeah, that could be that actually kind of attracts yeah. wine and spirits. Mm-hmm. No, okay, so here's no, here's what it is. If you're a wine bar, your Halloween party is called wine and spirits. That's good. So let's open a wine bar. Sure. Neither you nor I drink, but yeah. Nope. <laughs> and haven't for many, many years. But that doesn't mean we can't open a wine bar. Right. We can. And I'm just warning everyone now, we only accept spooky bucks, but it yeah. has to be our only spooky We only accept horror movie dollars. Yeah, it has to be horror movie dollars, but like you can't print your own. I'm sorry. I, I cornered that market of printing my own. Yeah, and they're, I, they're, his are serial numbered and watermarked. And I was overly ambitious. That's the main reason. I think this is technically money laundering because I'm just trying to launder <laughs> the uh, Halloween dollars that I made because I was really ambitious with it. And now I have yeah. a whole closet full of them. Luckily, there's a one-to-one exchange rate with U.S. dollars right now. Yeah, <laughs> the market's good. <laughs> but, you know, look, we don't know when the store is going to open, so we will have to check the international markets to figure out the exchange rate before we Right. Do. So we want, we, I mean, if we're going to l- launder money, we're going to do it correctly. Okay, look, I know we have the idea for like a physical store, but based on what I saw with celebrities in crypto, I also just think we could get celebrities to endorse our Halloween bucks and probably pyramid scheme that up and make a lot of money there. And what's Jenna Ortega up to? I bet you she would endorse some Halloween bucks for sure. I mean, I mean, I, I, if anything that Paris Hilton, uh, Jimmy Fallon segment taught me is we could get both of them to talk about our sham money on television. Perfect. Yeah. There's nothing problematic about either of them. Not as far as I know. Yeah. (laughs) 
There Anyways. definitely wasn't recently a, a, an expose on how terrible it is to work for Jimmy Fallon. No, that definitely didn't talk about the culture of incredibly toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope it's a good Jimmy day. Yeah, you and me both, buddy. Um. Anyways, anyways, uh, vampire in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yep. Vampire. He comes to Brooklyn to find Angela Bassett, whose dad was a vampire, and he's trying to yes. find love. It's actually weirdly similar to coming to America. He's he's coming here to find love, and he goes to Brooklyn instead of Queens. So it's a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah. So then he shows up. He they loosely do the plot of the film Dracula and then she stabs him in the end yeah I, I think one of the other just narrative problems with this film is that Eddie Murphy is unquestionably both the villain and the protagonist and that's a problem well that that goes back to what you were saying earlier where it seems like nobody talked the end of the film relies on him being a villain clearly but that opening scene that we played introduces him as a hero. Yeah, I mean, he does save Kadeem Hardison's Julius, although he saves him in order to make him his ghoul. But I do think that it is a problem that the movie sort of goes back and forth between whether he's a hero or a villain in any given scene. And then I, I think the beginning commits harder to liking him and the end commits harder to him being a villain for it to work. But then that's a weird balance to strike. Yeah, it's... uh. It's inconsistent and like that, that is the, the single word that defines this movie start to finish is that it's inconsistent. Well, and then you also kind of get that with Angela Bassett's character because she seems not in any way interested in him romantically or becoming a vampire until like two thirds of the way through the movie where she seems very into it only to then double, you know, do a double reverse or a true reverse, <laughs> go back to her original position of not wanting to do it. Well, right, because like it, I think it's when she starts to think that her partner, who she also definitely is in love with, Justice, was banging her roommate. Yes. Uh, when it was actually Maximilian that banged her roommate. Yes, because her roommate just seemed down for whatever. Which just, I mean, look, I look, I, I'm not going to shame the woman, you know, she's, you know, sexually empowered and God bless her. But like, maybe don't try to sleep with every person that your roommate interacts with that's not cool right um but man we've been talking about horny performances a fair amount in this year but simbi kali as uh nikki that is a, a top tier horny performance yeah no she yeah she's way up there of like you know she's she's down yeah she is down to clown in every sense of the word um and it just yeah, this movie is all over the place and but, unfocused. But I do think that there was a good idea in the midst of all of the, the chaos and inconsistencies of... Well, there's two things that I like that I, I'm not even... Uh, I wouldn't even say these are silver linings because I don't think that they quite work. But I think that their instincts were good, which were... I liked the paintings that Angela Bassett's character did that were premonitions of things that happened. And then... The showing them coming to be, you know, cutting between the painting and the the actual thing happening. I thought that was cool. And then I also did like this idea of because Eddie Murphy was in love with her and he was trying to woo her, that part of his evil plan was to 
take everyone. So this is what he's doing. He's he knows that she has feelings for her partner. So he's driving a wedge between them. He also needs to get her roommate out of the way so that he's using her to to drive the wedge. Like so like he's isolating Angela Bassett. There's also the the whole thing with the priest. You know, that when she tries to go to him, he he makes that not be a possibility by sort of taking over as the priest and, and right. making <clears throat> by murdering the priest and then impersonating the priest. Yes. But like all of those ideas, I like that that plot, that storyline I thought was good of that this is his plan to completely isolate her so he will be the only person in her life. Yeah, I think I mean, and this is, I think, also not quite the silver lining, but beat for beat, this movie makes sense. Yes. And people's motivations, other than Angela Bassett's, seem pretty consistent. Yeah, which I feel bad because I love Angela Bassett. And I even think that she's good in this, but like it, they they just don't give her a character that can be played. <laughs> yeah, I think like on the page, it's such an inconsistent character that that it's tough to that she has to constantly swing back and forth motivation wise like that, I, I believe they call that big showing yeah she she is essentially written like big show around well a little later than this but a little later uh, than this but yeah the 2000s big show of just you know she's constantly just swinging back and forth between heel and baby face yeah just back and forth and back and forth um so we talked a little bit about him impersonating the preacher and uh, all of that. And then also impersonating a, like a, a street level uh, mafia thug. Which this both is, of those things, too, done like coming to America, where this is Eddie Murphy playing these characters as well. Yes. Well, and that's like so I think I'm not fully ready to pivot. I think this exists in the liminal space for me uh, is the idea of. Like these characters are before they're possessed by Eddie Murphy or played by Eddie Murphy in, in a significant amount of makeup. And then Eddie Murphy then plays them. And it's interesting that like Eddie Murphy has it's like one of the things he's known for is playing multiple characters in a movie. But this is only the second time it happened. Right. That is wild. Yeah. Um, You know, like because the first time is obviously coming to America you know, he famously, you know, he plays uh, the lead. He plays the old Jewish guy in the barbershop, um, the soul glow guy, you know, like all of the. You know, all all the, the different characters uh, and then just does normal movies. And then this is the second time. And then uh, it's really Nutty Professor 2 is the next time that he plays multiple characters. Does he do? Well, he does it in the first Nutty Professor. Well, because he plays the skinny and the fat nutty professor right does he play, or is his family in the first one i think his family is in the first one but not as prominent i think they're introduced because yeah I, I remember like his mom and his dad existing in the first one but then the second one is the clumps where it's like they're the focus right. which is, is then, the first one where the the hercules hercules Her i think so is that, what, is that from the first one so I, yeah okay i think it is and then yeah i mean the clumps i mean the the nutty professor films are really i think that that solidified this idea because in coming to America, it's just a thing and it's accepted, but that's the one that's I've seen parodied that it's like it sort of almost became a shorthand of if you have a fiction like Jack Black's character in Tropic Thunder. It's like if you have a character and you who is a comedic actor and you want to show uh, a decline in the quality of their work, they inevitably parody the idea of playing all those characters from the clumps. Yeah. Yeah. 
Which, yeah. yeah, I mean, again, I love Eddie Murphy and it's a shame, but it's, you know, I do get it. It's not false. <laughs> yeah, because then you get into like Norbit and, you know, all of that. Uh, I, I'm sure at some point we will get to Norbit, but since you brought it up, I had to watch that movie because I lost a bet. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it, so we should do it someday. So just um, I can check that one off the list, I guess. Yeah, it, it's it's inevitable. Because it is for sure maligned. But yeah, no, I had to um, I had a bet with a teacher of my, a fellow teacher of mine about whether we were going to have a snow day or not. And I didn't think we were. And then we did. So I had to watch an orbit. And that was how that was my penalty for losing the bet. <laughs> That's pretty good. I also but I'm just going to throw this out there because I recently rewatched it because we're since we are unfortunately maligning so much of Eddie Murphy's work. A underrated Eddie Murphy film, if people haven't seen it, is Bowfinger. And I'm just going to throw that out there and say uh, Bowfinger is a ton of fun. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's not as well remembered for whatever reason, but it's him and Steve Martin. And I believe it's direct directed by Frank Oz and it's hilarious. Yeah, but that's like probably the most justifiably cult classic of his movies. Yeah. And he plays two characters in that. But like he they're, does. They're two Eddie Murphy's basically. There's no yeah. like yeah. prosthetics. Right. Yeah. Um. He plays his own uh, like double in the film. Right. And I'm ready to pivot. Well, I unfortunately, I have something really depressing that we should talk about before we pivot, because I, I think. It oh, is yeah. We, this does bear bear talking about. Yeah. So I, I would agree with that. But yeah, I, I think that just if we're going to talk about this movie and reasons that it's maligned and things that are a problem with it, that, yeah, there is a very unfortunate story with this that uh, the stunt double for Angela Bassett, a woman named uh, Sonia Davis, died filming a stunt in this where she fell backwards 42 feet uh, and was supposed to land on a crash pad and it just the stunt went wrong and she died filming this. Yeah. And so, again, I mean, it's just horrible that there's not more to say, I don't think, but I just it would be weird not to note that when talking about problems with this film. No, that is I mean, that is definitely a problem. And I think that I think I was reading that Angela Bassett did a lot to like help take care of things for her. And I think that like the production crew, like they didn't John Landis. This is my understanding. No. And it's I mean, it's a horrible story, too, because from what I was reading, her family was there like they were there on the set Oof. when it happened. Yeah, Oof. it's just very sad and unfortunate. Yeah, none, none of that is good. Yeah. And so like just. Yeah, I, I, you know, just want to mention that and, you know, note that that like obviously anytime that happens, that is horrible. And that seems like a particularly terrible, tragic death. Yes. Yeah, no, that's it's definitely really unfortunate. And um, yeah, there's not much more else to say about it. Yeah. But yeah, now that I, I've brought us all the way down, let's pivot. All right. Uh, Kadeem Hardison is, I'm going to start there. Sure. Yeah. Um, so not only did I really enjoy his work in this movie, but just ha like, this is his favorite movie that he did. And that makes me happy. Which, yeah, I mean, fair. He's very good in this. Um, you know, that he really enjoyed doing it. Like he played the Renfield character very well. Um, it's a little weird that like. How little people were reacting to him decaying before their very eyes. Like, that was a little odd. 
Well, again, I think his performance is definitely existing in the version of this that's a comedy. And if everything was heightened to comedic levels, then I think what he was doing would really land and people could be more horrified. I also do think that final shot with him and John Witherspoon in the limo where he transforms into like a good version of himself again, I think would have been good in a version of this movie that worked comedically as well. No, I agree 100 percent. Like, I did love that as a finish. Like, I love that he, you know, was definitely put through the most tribulation throughout this entire movie objectively um, and kind of won in the end by becoming a vampire. Yeah. And then uh, John was like, I ain't going to be your ghoul. Yeah. Which, I mean, John Witherspoon, I I can't say that I think he's a full silver lining as much as I love him, because I just don't think what they're giving him to work with is working necessarily. But I do love him. And I just want to note that. Big fan. Yeah. Big fan of John Witherspoon. And like the one scene where uh, when Justice comes looking for Angela Bassett's character, Rita, uh, and John Witherspoon explains that she was banging some dude all night. I mean, that scene is objectively funny. It really is. And that it's like feels... it's like one of the few comedic scenes that really work in this movie. And that feels very much like they just let him go. You know, that he, he yeah, they just turned the camera on him and said, yeah, this is the these are the bullet points. Get us there. Yes. And, and no, I, I agree that that did get a laugh from me. Like, I enjoyed that. Um, Yeah, like. This was so close to being a really good movie, and I think just the fact that nobody talked to each other is, or it seems like nobody talked to each other, is what sent it awry. But then, like, like Eddie Murphy's not bad in this, despite his hair. Angela Bassett, despite, uh, like, what's on the page for her, she's always one of the best. Like, she's one of my all-time favorite actresses. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, Just, like, you just want to talk about, like... She's one of the first women that comes to mind when I think of like picture a powerful woman, Angela Bassett, and almost everything she's done is like one of the first things that comes to mind. Well, and there is a great shot of her in this movie when she decides to go on the date with Eddie Murphy and she's wearing the red outfit and she's just standing on the street. And it is her partner who's like going to try to make amends with her, just sees her. And I think steam is coming up from the ground, if I remember correctly. as well in this movie yeah i don't know maybe but again it's just her screen presence and her just taking up space in that shot yeah. like that that is what she does so well i think oh yeah no she's uh she's awesome and like yeah she's she can basically do no wrong like i i love angela bassett she's phenomenal no she really is and i i did enjoy her in this yeah i just think her character doesn't quite work but i i enjoyed her a lot um i think because you're you're mentioning too so much about you know a lot of what we talked about is it's just not working tonally i want to say that this is i think a silver lining that Wes craven who i mean again just one of one of the icons the icons of horror for sure has talked about this movie not working and what like he basically realized that tonally it didn't work that it wasn't scary enough and that everything wasn't landing And he took that into consideration and made alterations to a future film that came out after this, which was Scream. So I think if this was the movie that he needed to make to figure out the formula to make Scream, then maybe it was worth it for that alone. Yeah, I mean, Scream is one of the all time best horror movies. 
also it simultaneously ruined horror forever but <laughs> yes yeah i mean both things are true that you know it 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 worked so well by both being a love letter to and also a takedown of all previous horror films and tropes and like there i can't like there are so few horror movies that are able to be played earnestly because scream lampooned it so effectively <laughs> Right. And it's yeah, I definitely think there has been an adjustment since then to figure out what to do, particularly slasher films. I think that that really was. Yeah, no, I mean, there's yeah, there's like, you know, supernatural horror, zombie movies, things like that have always worked. But um, but no, it definitely killed killed the scared teenager slash slasher genre. Yeah, but those films are fun. I've I've rewatched them fairly recently uh, so that I could watch. Uh, a movie that is unfortunately way too beloved for us to do this month, uh, which is Scream 6, which takes place in New York, but is. Yeah, uh, we, it's, it's way too well liked. Um, no, I've seen the first four Scream movies. I've not seen five or six, but I've heard they're both very good. They are like, yeah, I mean, it's a, a surprising uh, longevity to the franchise where it's I think it stumbles a bit in the middle, but I, I don't know that there's been any one of them that i haven't enjoyed to some degree there there's probably a few that we could do on this show but oh yeah i mean i think i mean i think my favorite scream movie is the one where the killer where ghostface ends up being revealed to be an orangutan yeah well that yeah i know shannon doherty was upset by it but i know that wes craven has always maintained that focus groups found that people love monkeys yeah and i mean consider me one of consider me people then (laughs) We love this monkey. <laughs> um, I do. I always think of that, too. Like, for better or for worse, I will always, when I think of Wes Craven, think of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And when I, whenever I think of Gus Van Zandt, I'll think, uh, Jesus, Ben, I said I'm busy. While he's counting money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, honestly, when I, th- I mean, when I think of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, all I think of is... Lion face, lemon face, you know, it's uh, it just goes without saying. Oh, that Um, Affleck. (laughs) Ah, I look, I'm dead serious here. It's Ben Affleck's best work is Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. And I love Ben Affleck. I I mean, we did a month of Ben Affleck in uh, one of our February rom-coms, but I mean, he was the bomb in Phantoms. Mm hmm. But uh, his best work is definitely Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Yes. Phantom's like a motherfucker. Uh, now, yeah, but back to Vampire in Brooklyn. I think, like, it's it's so close to being really good and ends up being utterly forgettable as a movie, which might be for the best. Except for, for Kadeem Hardison, because he loved it. And yeah. I love that. He remembers it fondly, but possibly no one else does. And I mean... We talked about it at the top. I mean, you have two people who made more iconic films the year this came out. Obviously, Eddie Murphy and Wes Craven are going to be remembered for uh, a lot of things that are more beloved than this film. Right. Um, and uh, Simbi Kali is going to be remembered for being, uh, you know, uh, Dick's secretary on Third Rock from the Sun. Mm hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's a, everyone had something better than this, I guess, except for Kadeem Hardison. But he was in A Different World and White Men Can't Jump, and those are both great things, too. Yeah, I mean... But he loved this movie, and I love that for him. And, like, I, I'm never gonna yuck someone's yum. Because uh, he... He was... He was bringing his A-game for this when 
I mean, Eddie Murphy, I think, has admitted to phoning it in a little bit. Well, I, as we said earlier, Eddie Murphy begrudgingly did this movie to get out of a contract, which is never a good starting point. Yeah, no, it's not. It's, uh, it's, it's not the movie wasn't starting from a place of love. And that in and of itself is a bit of a problem. But. Uh, you know, we, we got there and. But uh, you, you know, know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a bold swing. I think this was the best modern take on Renfield that I've seen. How about uh, that? I, and I know that you've seen the movie Renfield and I have not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm willing to give you, give you that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and throw that one out there that uh, he, he should be proud of his work because you're, you're my modern day in New York City Renfield. I think that Perfect. movie took place in New York. It definitely took place in the city, the new Rayfield. Yeah. It's a bad yeah. sign that I can't say for sure that it was New York. No, but, but uh, I'm a little amazed we didn't do that for Nick Cage month, but maybe next year. You know, I mean, we're almost out of Nick Cage movies. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> wait, hold on. Hold on. I got to double check. Let me see. Uh, I, gotta, I have a list of Nick Cage movies. Let me see. Uh, hold on. I got to start here at the top. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z! That's all you have to do! That's the real horror movie villain, is you, you thought, <laughs> thought the clips <laughs> were dead. <laughs> but you, you looked back like you, you thought you got away. And then you took that minute to look over your shoulder and you're just staring at an empty hallway, my friend. Yep. You, those... thought, you look out the window, you assume that the body's going to be there lying in the front yard and nope, and it then, rises again. And then you squint and just across the street, right behind that hedge, you know what you see? Beef! Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. This is Philip And Katie. And Bridget. And we're three friends who like movies. Especially movies of yore, when we were small and everything seemed awesome. Now we're revisiting these bright, shining beacons of our youth and figuring out if they are for real. So sit back and relax and revisit the best. The worst. And everything in between from the 80s and 90s. And find out... Is it for real? Hey, I'm Vampire in here.